Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Marilyn and Me. Robert Slatzer, played by Jesse Dabson, is an inspiring Hollywood writer when he meets the aspiring actress Norma Jean Baker, played by Susan Griffiths. Slatzer narrates his on-again, off-again relationship with Norma Jean, including a five-day marriage and the difficulties in being with the woman known to most as Marilyn Monroe. Screenplay by Robert Boris, directed by John Patterson, and premiered on ABC on September 22, 1991. This is another one where I'm going to assume that you haven't seen it before, but have you heard of this movie before? No, I've not seen it or heard about it. No, me either. And what's really weird about this, just, you know, going through where it's available digitally, there's no VHS or DVD copy available. But yet it's available on several different streaming services with really good transfers. The version that we watched, or that I watched, and we watched it separately. I watched um, it on Amazon. Oh, I watched it through um, Tubi. Oh, okay. For free. And, and very good video quality. Much better yeah. than, you know, what we've seen with I some mean, of the better other ones. than, like, the Lucy and Desi. Yeah. I mean, that was... But that was a TV movie. Was that ABC? I forgot. Uh, it was a TV movie, but the version that we had to watch was someone who had recorded uh, a Lifetime yeah, Movie YouTube. Network re-airing of it okay. and then posted it online. But, I mean, it, to go into sort of, like, Lucy and Desi or even, like, The Summer My Father Grew Up, this, I feel like, has better production value overall. Uh, it's probably one of the best-looking TV movies, just from, you know, set design, costume design, all that kind of stuff, that type of standpoint yeah. that we've seen so far. Aside from, I'd say, Cast Deadly Spell, which had HBO budget behind it. Mm-hmm. This is ABC budget, where they're pumping money into dozens of movies each year. Um, so it's kind of surprising to see such high quality in that I mean I wonder if they did not um release it on DVD I don't I don't I'm just wondering maybe because of this guy Robert Slater it may be yeah because of the controversy of the story but I yeah. mean you know Marilyn Monroe stuff has yeah dozens released and dozens everywhere. of movies they about probably her. don't want this to be out there i don't know who's like you know responsible for her but now they're putting on basically every streaming platform yeah. that they can get their hands on so it's, it's just odd that there is no home video release that i could find proof of but now it's available in multiple places digitally i wonder if they're just releasing this because of all the recent like you know the Netflix documentary and then the movie that's coming up again. I mean, it yeah, seems like yeah, that's one of the reasons why we watched it, right? Yeah. So it it could be that that's part of it, um, but it is readily available at least, and and it looks nice. You know, you don't have to worry about going on YouTube for a 
VHS yeah, taped off a TV. taped off copy. With, you know, missing scenes or bad tracking. Um, it's an interesting story in on, on the surface level. Just because you... I mean, Robert Slazer was a real person, obviously. Um, this is meant to be an autobiographical account of his time with Norma Jean. I... I don't really know a lot about Marilyn Monroe at all. Like her history, her um, like her off-screen persona, yeah, her, uh, her, her her whatever. So all I can really say is like Susan Griffiths, the person who played her in this movie, looks a lot like Marilyn Monroe, but in terms of like her performance, I I don't know how accurate it is. I don't know, you know, did she put on that breathy? voice oh you like, mean Marilyn in, like in real life yeah like in real life was she like very because, Betty Boopish exactly yeah so like Susan is basically portraying Marilyn Monroe as we know her from the movie characters like the femme fatale type of you know sex bomb character that she portrays in mm-hmm. the movies and she's carrying over that breathiness, that, you know, overt, like, baby voice, almost like Betty Boop, like you're saying, into the daily interactions of Norma slash Marilyn. I don't know how accurate that is. Um, it seemed like it was a caricature. Oh, see, I haven't seen, you know, the documentaries. I just seen the movies she's in. Yeah, I don't and know how much. And she always plays, you know, that type of, you know, sex pot. Yeah. And, and it's tough for me to know. Mostly, I mean, I don't know if those documentaries would have a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff where she like showing her uses off. her possible real voice if she has one that isn't this. Like, is it a Gilbert oh, Gottfried type of a thing where she's or, just like putting or on like this a thing Paris Hilton thing? You know, how right. Paris Hilton does how, the baby voice. Yeah, is it like a Paris Hilton thing? Is it like a Gilbert Gottfried thing where like he actually has a real voice that he just never used after he was off of SNL? Yeah. Um, or like what was rumored to be like Michael Jackson's thing where his on-screen, high-pitched, like, you know, child voice was not real. It was put on the entire time. Like, I don't know if that's like the same Like, she's type of done thing. it so long that it just becomes... I mean, I also compare... Or is it just because we only know her from the movies and there's no, like, interviews or behind-the-scenes, like, footage to draw from to know otherwise? Yeah. Um, But yeah, so it's tough to get a real good grasp as to how accurate the portrayal is of... I think she did... Well, just looking her up, Susan Griffiths, she's been known to be the Marilyn Monroe look-like in yes. other movies basically all of her other roles are, are as, as Marilyn Monroe yeah like so a, she's like the go to list if you want to like she's okay. American Snitch which was like in 1983 I've never heard of it Growing Pains Quantum Leap Pulp Fiction Dark Skies Sybil the you know the Sybil Shepherd TV show Time Cop the TV show The Strip Curb Your Enthusiasm the Elton John video um, all played Marilyn Monroe and that's yeah. basically all of her credits she has not done any non-Maryland stuff, for the most part. I think there's like a couple other things. Um, so she's known for this, and she's made a whole career out of it. 
But again, I mean, most people who want a Marilyn Monroe impersonation want what they've seen in those movie roles. Yeah. So when you're talking about her living her life off camera, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's accurate or not. Um, But this whole story may not be accurate, right? Like, that's the whole thing. Like, yeah. uh, So Robert Slater most likely was in her life to a large degree. Most likely did date her off and on. I have no idea for sure. You're shaking your head as if that's probably not true. Okay, well... Um, But the marriage is very much in question, I think. Yeah. Completely debunked. Yes. I mean, I might as well... This is going to be my true crime, but I might as well just, like, get into it and I'd skip true crime because I feel like this whole movie is the true crime. Yeah, they don't don't really get into her death aside from, like, the very beginning. Yeah, in the beginning where he gets a call. Bob gets a call from Walter Winchell in the middle of the night to inform her of her death. He tries to go claim the body, but they don't have her on record as as being married to him because it was done in Mexico and they burned the marriage certificate and so no one believes him. And so it's like him telling his story from when they met to pretty much when when they stopped being like, like she stopped talking. When she married DiMaggio or shortly after that. So it's a good, like, they met in, like, like the mid... years. Yeah, the mid-40s, and then, you know, till like, 1953. Around there, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. then she just fully steps out of his life, and then it shows the last part as him going to her funeral. But... All right, so I like okay. I didn't. I looked up like a couple articles on him, and then I listened to two podcasts. Like one of them I've heard before. It's like you must remember this. That's like one of my favorite podcasts. She like uh, Karina Longworth. She did a season. This was maybe like five years ago. It was called Dead Blondes, and then she had three episodes all about Marilyn Monroe, hmm. but she doesn't really talk about. Slater, really, like, at all. Yeah, so, it's like a hidden relationship or something. Yeah, but there's a new-ish podcast called Marilyn Beyond the Icon, and it's like these three journalists who are, quote, Marilyn Monroe experts or something. It's like three people who are talking and, like, debunking certain things, and each episode is like 20 minutes long and I only listen to the episodes where they talk about Robert Slater and you know he wrote two books about Marilyn Monroe but they Mm -hmm. said that both of those books had conflicting information like the day that he said that he got married to her when they went to Mexico she was actually out shopping like she was seen by someone out shopping for clothes like in Beverly Hills or something yeah IMDB says that there's like a canceled check that proves that it didn't happen yeah she went shopping yeah and then um even when they show in the movie you know how he got contacted about her death one of the books said that he was in Ohio, and then I guess the other book said that he actually went to her funeral. So it, it's these people were just like making fun of Robert Slater, just saying, you know, he if you're gonna lie, like stick with the lie. Well, I mean, those aren't <laughs> conflicting things. Like learning about the the death in Ohio doesn't mean that he couldn't have flied out. Flown I think. Out to LA, oh, I think that's it what wasn't. The movie basically shows too. Yeah. 
I think it was, um, but there's, he probably said something different in both of the books. Like yeah. In, saying that he was that he still was in, in Ohio or something yeah. while she was being buried. I see. Yeah. And then in the second one saying that he actually went to her funeral. Gotcha. Um, there was a couple other things. And then, uh, the reason, so the, uh, there was two articles, one of them that I read about him he has a picture of him kind of like cuddling up next to Marilyn Monroe. That's like the only photo he has of him and her. That's the only proof that he has. And these three people on that podcast just said that um, he was just like merely a stalker. Like he was just a super fan. And I guess they were sort of acquainted because even in the mo- movie, you know, she's there's a when she's starting to become famous and, you know, she has people sending her like, you know, letters and stuff like that. He was one of them. And then when she was filming that Niagara movie, which we saw in this movie, yeah, he was one of the fans that came up to her and was like, can I get a picture with you and an autograph and all this stuff? And, I guess he, they just said that they were just acquaintances where he would be, cause he, he would talk to Marilyn cause you know, she wanted to talk to her fans. Sure. And, um, according to this, cause Slater died in 2005. Yeah. And, um, according to these people and I guess according to, I didn't read his books. I'm not going to read them cause I really don't care about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and... But I guess according to these, like, two books that he wrote, it's just that he would always give Marilyn Monroe, um, like, certain books to read. Okay. And that's kind of, like, how they, quote, knew each other. Is But I think it was mostly on his end, like, yeah, she writing didn't, like, to her. Yeah, she reciprocate too much. Yeah, she didn't reciprocate. Okay. So, and then, you know, even Joe DiMaggio, they interviewed him or talked to him not on this podcast but they just said that he doesn't even know who this guy is even though when they show in that in the in this movie that yeah she like double books dates between him robert and joe dimaggio yeah like i guess you know i guess the movie sort of fooled me in, in a sense that i assumed that they would have had some relationship because he's involved in so many different aspects of her life she he's like interwoven and introduced to different people like agents and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and i would have assumed that that would have been at least partially real that she you know that he might have gone to some of those parties with her or being introduced to the agents whatever and that there would have been enough in hollywood you know corroboration of that story that at least part of it was true and the oh yeah they probably dated but they never got married type of a thing uh it seems but as it if sounds like that's completely they never yeah that she because i think even when she something happened where like five years so like like in the late 50s like 50, 1958 he made like a big commotion about how they were married and then marilyn was like i don't even know him Oh, so he tried to claim that they were married while she was still alive. Yeah. That's interesting. And then, 
he made like a big, and then he, it, it's like he just, and then in the 70s, he made even a bigger thing about it because I think he was trying to, he was one of the people that became one of the biggest proponents of like the Kennedy murder theory into Marilyn's death. Right. And so it became like, like it became buried and then he like opened up this stupid rumor again, like in the seventies. Yeah. For those that don't know, there's a rumor that she might've been murdered by somebody because of her affair with John F. Kennedy. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I could understand that there would be people who would want to hide their relationship potentially at different times, like how he sort of explains it in the movie. Like the studio wants to squash their marriage because she's, you know, yeah, she's... more marketable as an available woman, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's there's things like that that make sense within the context of the movie. Yeah, I mean, but... he, he's like a, I mean, he's a writer. So it's like a lot of this stuff, you can be like, yeah, I kind of believe this, but, you know, it's... It's like none of this is real. <laughs> the yeah, more sort of I was like, like, he's like Forrest Gumping himself into this whole story. This is of like hers. his fanfic of him and Marilyn. Because they show him right when she's like trying to get one of her first auditions. They show him in the studio with Tom Kelly when she's doing that calendar that made her famous mm. as well. Um, that she's that he's in the room when she dyes her hair and basically becomes Marilyn Monroe without the name. See, she, like, by that point... He's everywhere at these key moments. Yeah, but by that point, she was already a blonde. So he couldn't have been there. But... Yeah, he's saying that he was there. As Norma Jean? Yeah. When she first came to Hollywood, she was already a blonde? No, she, she dyed her hair blonde before... Like in the movie, she dyed her hair like way before wait wait whatever he said. Okay. So he wasn't there. Yeah, I mean that could. I, I mean, mean he wasn't there at all. I mean, obviously, like any any biopic is going to have artistic license. Like you know, let's say the Andy Kaufman Man on the Moon movie yeah. with Jim Carrey. There's a lot of stuff in there that didn't happen in the sequence that it happened, right? But um, I don't know. He he's basically saying like. Yeah, if he she, was like, if I she was... came to Hollywood not a blonde, yeah. then he was there. You know what I mean? So regardless of whether or not... He's like claiming that he was there during the all of her pivotal of her moments. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like Forrest Gumping the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's just inserting himself but, into yeah, it's, her history. That's why, like, this is his fanfic. And then, like, someone just made a movie on it and, like, made it... I well, know. I mean, he was heavily involved in the movie in terms of... Um, being listed as a consultant um, yeah he's also in the credits he plays studio manager i don't know who that is in the movie i don't think i'm gonna be able to show a screenshot of it because i don't really know what slater looks like that much especially in the 1990s yeah i don't know what he looks like in the and, and i don't know what studio manager references like so he is there as a cameo and he was consulting this entire time obviously he probably had his book like sort of commissioned to do the story and the the teleplay screenplay by robert boris so um i mean honestly honestly part of this could have been just to try to boost his marketability as a writer somehow as well and like give him more prestige and, and notice so that he'd get more projects off the ground he only had like a couple in the movie, they even make it sound like he's a very 
you know, regularly working Hollywood figure. And maybe he was, but he didn't have like the screen credits behind it. He might have been ghostwriting a bunch of projects mm-hmm. or, you know, doing rewrites because that is very common as well. But he wrote and directed Hel- The Hellcats and Bigfoot. And that's about it. So he didn't have a whole long career uh, in Hollywood, sort of like what he shows here. Um, it's tough to say how much of it is true, if any. But yeah, from what you're saying, it sounds like very, very little. The The movie, though, I feel like they, they're forced to glance over a lot of stuff, right? Because it covers six years of events yeah they meet in november 1946 where he's immediately enthralled by her when she gets hit by a door and falls and like her cleavage is like on full display and he gives like this goofy smile and he makes it sound like the movie makes it sound like she is extremely aggressive with him like asking him out kissing him right away stripping on the beach on the first date after like leaving dinner early yeah like doing the skinny dipping in the water and continuing that aggressive behavior of, you know, she's like leading she's, the charge and, like, it, super it obsessed with as, him. Yeah, it made, it, it made it think as if she's, like, love-bombing him. And then, like, she's, like, sort of stringing him along. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't really paint her in a very positive light, to be honest. Not, he, he's not painted in a positive light, either. She's basically... I don't know, using him when there's nothing else available. Yeah, it's like when she's not with someone, she just fall, falls back to him. Yes. And it's like making her sound as if she's like a codependent yeah. person. Yeah, like she needs to have somebody at all times. Like a guy to pay attention to her at all times. Yeah. And then and she like gets off on that. I don't know if that's like super true or anything. That's what, yeah, um, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't really know much about her personality and how accurate this is either. Um, but yeah, it, they definitely make it seem like she's extremely manipulative. Yeah. At one point even abusive towards him because she throws something and it like hurts his neck or something and like he's bleeding and they have to bandage it up. Yeah. <laughs> but so but it also shows her to it be It makes it sound as if she I mean from what I I don't know from the just the podcasts I listen to it's just I mean, you know, th- people say that she had like a drinking they show her drinking like double fisting sometimes yeah they call her um he calls her the best drinking buddy he ever had a couple yeah times. like i and then like taking pills and from what i know is that she had um endometriosis and uh-huh. so like i mean at that time in the 50s yeah she was taking pain that, she was yeah. taking pain pills yeah so she was just taking things to like you know ease whatever her pain during that time but i mean i'm not like an expert on her either it's just like whatever i've heard but the movie paints her is superficial as all hell yeah that's why i was like this everything is great in her life as long as she's being applauded yeah like she needs attention at all times that's what 
this movie, this guy was is like portraying. And that everything is worth the adulation as long as she gets the adulation. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if she's being like, you know, mistreated on set or whatever. It doesn't matter if, you know, her mother doesn't like her or whatever it is. As long as she gets the applause at the end of the scene, then that's when she's the most happy. Yeah, that's so, what he's portraying about yeah. her. Meanwhile, his portrayal of himself in this is some petulant like child. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like a victim and a petulant child who's like whiny and I don't know. He, he, he isn't like he, he has this he has this love hate relationship with her. He's like I and himself, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because even when when like near the end where she's on the set of Niagara and she calls him, she's like, "I need you" because I. You know, this is, like, one of her biggest roles at that point. Right. I need you on set. Come come to me. Like, she's got some anxiety. And he's like, I'm gonna... He tells his boss, because he's about to write for some other Western or something. And this is supposedly while she's already married to Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. They're I just dating. I think she was dating. They're just dating. This yeah, because she doesn't... Dating Joe DiMaggio actively at this time. Yeah. And calls, she she gets married. Calls Bobby instead. Yeah, because that's when they decide to get married, and this is even before the Joe DiMaggio. Well, yeah. I mean, they're dating. Right. Marilyn and Joe. Yeah. Yeah, she calls him up, and she's like, "All got anxiety about," it. and she's like, "I need someone to calm me down," and that person is you. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't call Joe, I called you. That's the yeah. explanation we're given in the movie. And, um, so he, he's on some set for some movie that he wrote, like a western, I think? Yeah, they talk about westerns. And... I guess that'd be the Hellcats. I don't yeah. really know for sure, though. Yeah, I'm not sure Because I didn't either. look that up at all. But Hellcats sounds more like a biker movie than a western. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I didn't look it up, sorry, if anyone's... Like knowing the answer, and yeah. Mad that we're I don't know if anyone like. There's probably people who know way more about this than we do. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, he tells his boss or like the director or whoever, like the producer, like I'm gonna go help Marilyn because she needs my help. And he's like, well, what's more important, like your job or her? And he, like they don't, he doesn't even answer. They just show him leaving to go to her. Yeah. And then he's just saying, like, it's the best and worst time of my life. Like, the best time, but also the worst time of my life whenever I'm with her. Yeah. I don't know. He, he's just not shown a positive light either. It's just so weird. Like, let's say earlier than that, too, when they are dating and there's no other guy in the picture that we're aware of. This is before. Before I think she gets involved with the agent or maybe after that guy passes I don't remember um, but you know like she gets her big contract with Fox and then there's the whole scene about the morality clause being in the contract and that she has to move out of the place that they're living in together oh the Johnny Hyde her, her no no so like Bobby Johnny. and Marilyn are living together and she has to oh. move out because of the morality clause in the, in the contract saying that she can't be living with a, a guy because they're, they're not married, yeah. right? And so, like, that all happens, and at no point is Marilyn showing that they're trying to, like, break up 
they're not saying that she's going to break up with him, just that she has to move out of the place in order to honor the contract. And he's just being a total asshole. And, you know, again, like a little baby child that's basically treating it like a breakup and then basically ignores her for a while and she's out of his life because she had to move out. Yeah, but you isn't know, like that it's when just she stupid goes... behavior. Like Isn't that. that when she also had to go, she went and lived with her talent agent, Johnny Hyde? That's later, a little bit later. And that's, um, I don't know, there, there's just so many weird things about this, because they just glance over stuff, like I said before. So, like, when she signs the contract with Fox or whatever, Bobby's working at an auto shop because he makes this big deal about, oh, I'll do all the grunt work so I can make a living while you do your auditions or whatever to be an actress. And so it shows him, like, slaving over dishwasher and later yeah. duties. And he's working in this auto shop, and he gets this call. And she's like, oh, Bobby, I got the contract with Fox. Great, let's celebrate. He hangs up the phone. I can't believe she did it. End scene. <laughs> it's, like, three sentences long. Um... And, and then next scene is they're breaking up, uh, I guess, <laughs> over this stuff. And uh, the same type of thing when she meets that guy, the agent, which happens later on. The agent comes into the diner where they're having dinner together. Um, they, they were, I forget what happened, like he was out of town or something for a while and he had come back because it was like his first night back in L.A., Mm -hmm. Right? And so, like, they're having dinner at this restaurant, and then the agent comes over and is like, Oh, I'm so glad I got to see you, Marilyn. There's this party tonight. Do you, do you want to go? Yeah. And Bobby's like, No, not me. I just got in. I'm super tired. You go ahead and you go if you want to. And then they both leave right then. Marilyn and the agent leave right then when it's, like, clearly daylight outside on the, the screen. It's like, okay. Like, why just so stupid like how soon before this party did you come to find Marilyn Monroe Norma oh, Jean in this restaurant it's like these weird little I, I hate conveniences of plot like that oh okay <laughs> and this movie has a lot of them yeah um but yeah so like that guy's supposed to be super nice uh what what's his what's his name Hyde Johnny Hyde Johnny Hyde played by Joel Gray Oscar and Golden Globe winner for Cabaret Emmy nominated for Brooklyn Bridge the 1991 show Brooklyn Bridge. He's also a Grammy nominee for Anything Goes. Um, and he'll be in the movie Kafka. Uh, so great actor Joel Grey plays this agent who is supposedly like the nicest one of them all. And they make a big deal about how Marilyn has to leave Bobby so she can live with Johnny Hyde in his last few months or whatever of life and be with him and have a relationship with Johnny Hyde instead of Bobby. Yes. Weird. I mean, she has this relationship with him. It's This also kind of, like, reminds me of, like, Anna Nicole Smith. I know how Anna Nicole Smith kind of wanted to be, like, Marilyn Monroe. Sure. Like, this is kind of, you know, from what I've heard and in these podcasts like Marilyn Monroe lived with him she loved him quote but not like in love she loved him as if he was like a father to her sure but it was more of like this sugar baby type relationship yeah which is sort of how Marilyn explains it in a sense not so much about the financial relationship but it's more like 
oh, he's been so nice to me. I think I have to go live with him and sleep with him because to show he's, him he's yeah how nice he's been yeah to me. yeah. That's that's how Marilyn's portrayed in this. Yes, and and then he's like, you know, why don't you marry me? Because then you get all of my money. Because you know his ex-wife won't. Or at least, you know, or his be, children. she'll be in the will. She'll be in the will and she'll get have, some like, sort of money. to whatever. Yeah. But she's like, no, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to get married. Yeah, but and then when he does die, like, there's a part, point where she can't even go to his funeral. And then, I guess, his ex-wife and son. Well, the ex-wife is like, I want her out of the house, like, today. Change the locks and... Well, kick her out. Which sends her back to Bobby again. Yeah, yeah. By the way, that person is listed third on the credits. The, right? That woman? That, that woman ex-wife? At, credited as woman at Hyde's funeral. Third <laughs> so place he... in the credits is Terry Moore. And I think I know the reason why. Alright, so she's an Oscar-nominated actress uh, for Best Supporting Actress for Comeback Little Sheba. She's been in Mighty Joe Young, both the original and the 1990s remake, and then also Peyton Place, amongst a bunch of other stuff. I think she's in there because she also claims to have been married to a very famous person in secret. She was supposedly married to Howard Hughes for a long time. Oh, okay, yeah. And married in Mexico as well to him. Um, that's also obviously very much in dispute, and she had also married people in the U.S. while she was supposedly married to Howard Hughes under the Mexico marriage certificate so i think that terry moore probably shared some sort of kismet you know like some sort of hollywood stories with robert slater yeah, yeah. And, and so they he put her in this movie and gave her high billing also i mean Os- the oscar nomination helps her high billing but for like one scene doesn't, yeah doesn't equate to third billing typically so uh that was interesting to see that terry moore was probably trying to play somebody that she had also experienced because the Howard Hughes estate do not recognize that that ever happened of course mm-hmm. um, I don't know why they would keep it a secret you know very well known popular actress why wouldn't Howard Hughes claim that relationship in public I don't know whatever um, yeah so yeah Bobby's in and out of this girl's life a bunch and, and that's sort of how it goes. He's there when the mom comes to visit after she had been in an asylum, and I don't really know how all that works, but she was visiting. They went out to eat. It shows the mother being, you know... So... Exhibiting behaviors that are, you know, whatever. Just ignoring her, and, and probably just showing how, like, this is why Marilyn Monroe is so needy, because her mom is, like, yeah, the mom it doesn't want him. to acknowledge anything that's happening. She's just kind of, like, staring and, like, cutting her ham endlessly. That scene was so weird. It's, they keep on, like, showing the mom and then, like, the cut-up ham and then the mom and then the ham and the mom. And I was like, and okay. And then the mom is like, I want to go back to the asylum. Yeah. And then she runs away at the train station, which I guess is where they had their food? I don't know how that works. Uh, and, yeah, she's gone. It was like a one scene with the mother, and I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, it didn't make sense. I think if you knew more about Marilyn Monroe's upbringing, you would just understand that. Probably. 
Yeah, this movie maybe assumes a lot of knowledge of Marilyn's history. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, I, I think the... I think the most interesting part of the movie is when Joe DiMaggio does show up and that he's, you know, dating her. That's the only other relationship, well, aside from, I guess, Johnny Hyde that they get into mm -hmm. with Norma slash Marilyn. They don't talk about Arthur Miller at all. They don't talk about, I forget, the third guy that she was married to. Oh, her Hollywood. first husband? No, no, because she alludes to the first husband before she even got to Hollywood. There's three people that she married. It's Joe DiMaggio, Arthur Miller, and then some other third guy, which I forget the name of. Well, her first husband, when she was a teen, she got married when she was, like, 15. Right, but I thought there was three in the Hollywood days. Maybe I'm it, wrong. Again, I, I don't know much I think it's just Joe her. DiMaggio and Arthur Mur Miller, but she's been, like, linked to so many different men. Right. That's why this guy is like, I'm one of them. Yeah. So yeah, maybe I'm thinking of whatever. But they, they don't talk about Arthur Miller. They obviously don't talk about Kennedy. Um, they don't talk about, you know, a lot of other key moments in her life. It's basically like 1952 and then cut to her being dead. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Yeah, it's it just shows... Um... The time that they met until when where she finally is like, hey, I'm going to go marry Joe DiMaggio. And he's like, okay, well, you're not going to see me anymore. And she's like, once he's like, Robert Slater is like, once you close that door, that's it. This is the last time you're going to see me. So she closes yeah, that door. Yeah, which she says like four times. In the yeah. Movie. But, I mean, there's a scene where Joe and Bobby are both in the same place at the same time, right? Like, waiting for her to come back during the Niagara shoot, I think it is. And, um, you know, they both go into the the house, and he just goes, Bobby goes to the bar. And he's just all nonchalant about everything because he's been there before, I guess. And, you know, Joe was, like, huffing and puffing, like, who's this guy? What's going on? And, you know, Bobby's here cool as a cucumber, and it's like, ah, now you know what it's like because I've, I've done it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, whatever. Supposedly she tries to come back to him after Joe and them break up, but before they get married, and, and Bobby says no, uh, but then says yes, and then they get married for the five days, and then the studio says no, that can't happen. Um, there's a couple of, like, culturally insensitive slash racist aspects of the whole Mexico scenes. Oh, two scenes. yeah. The the one scene where they go back to annul their marriage, I guess. Mm -hmm. it, it looks as if they got married in like some Mexican gift shop. Yeah. Because you see people in the background like playing with or like looking at puppets or something. And or, like ponchos and sombreros and stuff. I was like, where did... What? And here's, like, like this legal that's document like, that he just gets out and burns in front of and them. And he's like, okay, that's it. Your marriage doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I so Yeah, that whole scene, I was like, what? Which, like, that's, like, what? their version of Mexico or something. so dumb. Well, what about the other part, which... Uh, when they first go yeah, to get the, married? No, 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 the trigger warning part. Because at one point, she claims that Bobby got her pregnant. Oh, yeah. And then, and then they, they go, go to, Mexico. to Mexico. 
for the racist abortion in the dirty kitchen in someone's house. Oh, yeah. And he's like there pulling out the tools in the middle of this sink full of dirty dishes. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, you gotta wait outside. Here, we don't have medicine. Have some tequila. Yeah, and then she comes out and she's like... And that's when she like makes the one... by yeah. tequila. And also how she's like taking tranquilizers and that's like the only time they allude to her pill taking. It's like, right. they really help me. They really help me. That's it. That's what right. And, and so, yeah, it doesn't paint Mexico in a, a great light. A great light, yeah. Um... So, and I I don't understand why the certificate had to be burned, right? I mean, because there's ways to annul... When they annul a marriage in general... Yeah, you can do it legally. Right. But I guess the the idea is... I don't know how it was in the 50s, but can't you still do it legally, I should say? I mean, yeah, supposedly this was legal, but to have it, like... I guess they wanted it wiped off the books altogether, but again... Like, it never happened. The things that... um, is mentioned by Slatzer outside of this movie is that Marilyn supposedly did have a copy of the certificate at her home that he saw after her death, so but she... then it disappeared afterwards. Yeah. So it clearly wasn't, I don't know, whatever. It's stupid. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else to really mention about the plot of the movie in this, unless you can think of a, a scene that we're missing. Um, but again, like, it looks really nice. It's directed really well. It's directed by John Patterson, who is a two-time Emmy nominee for Sopranos. Uh, he's going to do the 1991 TV movie Sins of the Mother as well. He's a longtime TV director, did stuff like Cagney and Lacey, Dynasty, Hill Street Blues, Providence, Carnival. So, you know, really good pedigree behind this. Really good production values. But, oof, the story. Yeah, I mean... Everyone, I mean, they even have, you know, certain people in here that are well-known. It's a good cast. And the cast, I mean, the acting is fine. I mean, the guy that played Slater, I was like, eh. But everyone <laughs> else was fine. He he just looked like a big old goofball. Yeah. Um, yeah, Susan, Susan Griffiths, I, you know, again, looked the part, I, I think. You know, I understand why she has the... The career as a Monroe impersonator. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jesse Dobson, if we're getting to the cast and crew, he has not done a whole lot since then. He's done stuff like Deep Space, Death Wish for the Crackdown, a movie that I kind of want to see from 1990 called Alienator. It looks like a really cheesy sci-fi thing. He was on the Elvis TV show in the 90s, which I guess was a thing. I didn't realize that was a thing. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Robert Boris, the writer, has done... Uh, similar caliber stuff, but theatrical or directed videos. Some kind of hero. He's the man behind Dr. Detroit, Oxford Blues, Steel Justice, S-T-E-E-L-E, and then also Extreme Justice. Uh, we have a few different other people that I, I, I know. I, I'm not going to mention too many of them because honestly, they're going to be in a lot of other 1991 movies. But I do want to mention that we have people like Kurt Fuller in there. Who you probably know from like Wayne's World and Ghostbusters yeah. too. He plays the agent in one scene. He basically is like, get rid of this guy. He's one of the guys that says, get rid of this guy. You got Sandy McPeak, Sandy McPeak, who plays Daryl. Zanuck, the guy who says, you must annul this marriage or else she won't have a career anymore. 
Uh, he's going to be in the 1991 movie Born to Ride. He's known from Hill Street Blues, uh, Days of Our Lives, L.A. Law, and also as a two-episode stint as the Giggler in the 1966 Batman TV series. Mm. And then you have um, Patrick Thomas O'Brien as the casting director. He was talking about the, the, the clause, the morality clause, saying that she has to move out. Um, I just immediately recognized him as Mr. Dewey from Saved by the Bell. And like, oh my god, it's the teacher from Saved by the Bell. Mm. And he's also plays Satan in UHF. So, uh, Otherwise, a lot of the people who are in this are going to be in a bunch of other 1991 stuff. Uh, so that's about it for casting crew. There is one award nomination to mention for this. Because it is a TV movie, it is eligible for Emmys, which have a lot more categories. And so this was nominated for Best Hairstyling for a Miniseries or Special. So I guess this was considered to be a special and not a TV movie, which I think is a separate category aside from this, maybe? I don't remember. Um, so yeah, Lindley White, who, who did the hairstyling, was nominated, but she lost to a production called Miss Rose White. So that's that. We've talked about true crime, but what about pop culture? Um, so nothing... Nothing else major. On TV. <laughs> well, on TV, nothing. Well, I'm just saying nothing really major happened on this day. September twenty second, nineteen ninety one was a Sunday. And um, yeah, nothing really major happened on this day. Do you have day. the ratings for this one? How did yes, it I do the, have. I have the ratings. The Nielsen's. So on. So this was up against two other TV movies that are going to be on our list that are on our list and on cbs this was on at the same time as marilyn and re marilyn and me called runaway father okay that's come up a couple times in my cast yeah yeah that that has 16.8 million viewers runaway father did. runaway father did I don't want to look it up, but I mean, you know, it looks like a family drama. Sure. <laughs> and um, then on NBC, their movie for Sunday night is Guilty Until Proven Innocent, and they had 11.8 million. Mm. And, you know, that's going to be, you know, another drama mystery. Yeah, movie. I think there's actually like two movies with this similar title, Guilty Until Proven Innocent. So, yeah. Uh, compare the two yeah and then you know this is on abc uh marilyn and me had only had 8.5 million viewers compared to those other two (laughs) so it lost the night big time yeah i guess i wonder if it's because of robert slater like people are like oh this like if people were just you know yeah it could be people like knew is knew that he was you know a liar i mean or it would just not be over sensationalized his his relationship with Marilyn and you know like his vocalist I don't know how he was in the seventies but it made it sound as if he was like trying really hard to you know yeah it wouldn't be unreasonable to to one yeah have people who were alive in the seventies and remember the controversy and be like, Oh, this guy, forget it. Yeah, yeah. And also have like newspaper articles or even magazine stuff up to the movie's premiere talking shit about Slater. Maybe that might, you know, that might adversely affect this production too. 
you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and probably say that this probably does still have better production values than the other two. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I bet we'll it's probably going to be the see. best looking movie of the three. Yeah, looks wise and acting wise, it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how the other two movies will be, like, if they're just going to be, like, cheesy dramas, like the summer my father grew up or something like that i don't know yeah maybe but um so moving on to music this is as of september 28th 1991 i'm gonna do the bottom five of the billboard 100 at number 100 is the song Silver Thunderbird by the singer Mark Cohn. That's the Walking in Memphis guy. Yeah, I never heard... I was trying to think, like, have I heard Silver Thunderbird? I I don't think I have. I have not heard this song until five minutes before we started recording. Sounds like a failed cartoon. Oh, Silver Thunderbird? Yeah. It's it's like on the... It's on the same album as Walking... I mean, Walking in Memphis is the only song I know from this guy. Sure. So this was like his second hit, but it was only eight weeks on the charts, and it peaked at number 63. Number 99 is Learning to Fly by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Okay. That was 14 weeks on the charts, and it peaked at number 28. And number 98 is Right Here, Right Now by Jesus Jones. That was 25 weeks on the charts. That was like half the year yeah and then it peaked at number two yeah number 97 is can you stop the rain by Peebo bryson and i feel like we've maybe talked i know Have we've we? talked about Peebo. yeah i'm assuming that's a is that a cover of the credence song do you know no it's completely different yeah and that, oh, that that's probably a different title too for Credence actually <laughs> yeah you said this is Can You Stop the yeah, Rain yeah Can oh, You yeah. Stop Definitely the Rain definitely not the Credence song then I was thinking have you that. ever seen the rain or who will stop the rain or who okay <laughs> who will, oh, no, that, oh that one yeah no that's like <laughs> there's a lot of songs with rain in it though yeah Can You Stop the Rain Missy Elliott yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this that's way before I know uh so that was 15 weeks on the chart, and that peaked at number 52. Number 96 is a group that I've never even heard of. That is, they're called Pretty in Pink, and they're like a hip-hop group. They call it this uh, multinational group, because it's three women are black, one is Asian, and one is white. Okay. And they do... It's this song is very like New Jack Swing music, I guess mm-hmm. song, whatever. And the song is called All About You. And they obviously got this name from the movie Pretty in Pink. And um one of the women in or one of the ladies in this group is the daughter of Shaka Khan. Her name is Melini Khan. And they only had, they didn't do, they only had this, this was, this song, All About You, All About You is their first single for this, for their only album of 1991. And then they released another single 
called Dreams, and that didn't too, do too well. So the group disbanded soon after, and most of the members left the industry. But some of them, like, moved on to do their own writing, like, music writing and stuff. And one of the women uh, ended up marrying Joss Whedon's brother. Oh, okay. And she co-wrote that internet... You know, do you know Dr. Horrible yeah, sing-along? She co-wrote thing. that song. Mm. So they all kind of went their separate ways after, <laughs> like, doing two songs. I was they ask couldn't... if they did, like, a... Psychedelic Furs remix of Pretty in Pink. Oh, no, they didn't, no. And they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't just uh, follow in the coattails of Chaka Khan, even though, you know, her daughter was in that group. It's tough. It can be tough. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I've never even heard about them until right before we were recording. And the song I like. And the video's cute. Alright, so we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Marilyn and me? Uh, I mean, I'm going to give this a two. Yeah, on my zero to four star scale, I think I'm going to give it uh, like a one and a half. I mean, taking it at service value without knowing the actual history or, you know, doing, you know, the research that you had done, yeah. just looking at it as a movie. It's, I mean, I it's watched, fine, but yeah. it's not anything super special it's not the best movie we've watched yeah i watched i mean i watched this movie before looking things up yeah so i'm just i mean i i liked the movie but then after reading about more about robert slater i was like i don't like this guy (laughs) at all yeah i didn't like him in this movie yeah i didn't like the way marilyn monroe was portrayed in this yeah and too many of the scenes were fine the acting was fine yeah just the characterization wasn't and you know like too many of the scenes were were just spat out really quickly and just seemed like it jumped from piece to piece without any real like i I thought it was it flowed better than the lucy and desi movie yeah 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 definitely like i got i got like with the lucy and desi story i was like what time era are they in now Lucy and Desi might have done better with a narration type of a setup. Or like showing a date. Because sometimes they did that in this movie. Right, yeah. Like 1949. I don't know. This happened. Yeah. Like that's that's what kept me like uh, not confused, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't. I was not confused watching this movie. No, it was all chronological. Which is good. Except for like the beginning and end where, you know, it starts with her. Yeah, and then ends with it. Yeah, Yeah, it bookends with her death. Um, But the narration I thought was very lifeless and dull. Yeah. So that didn't help things. Uh, Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No. No. I I mean, there's dozens upon dozens of Marilyn Monroe things. You know, we got that Netflix movie coming up with Anna Darmus or whatever. I might watch that, but Um, I'd rather watch just like documentaries about her life. Yeah. Or with, or the movies that she's actually in. Or the like the Michelle Williams. I don't biopic. even know if I'll watch that. I mean, I'm I'm just saying, like, if I were given so, the choice between this and one of the other dozens of movies about oh, Marilyn Monroe, I'm yeah. gonna pick one of the other dozens of movies about yeah, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Well, because this one's just like what I said, fanfic. This is like some dude's fanfic about yeah. his infatuation with Marilyn Monroe. 
it's an interesting like side story that you can kind of like um like i get it like you know some people can probably believe this and be like oh yeah maybe he really is was married to her because he really believed it right so uh if you out there want to watch marilyn and marie Marilyn, Marilyn and me. <laughs> if you out there want to watch Marilyn and me as of this recording in July 2022, it's available on Tubi, Pluto TV, Freevee, Roku Channel, Digital Rental, not VHS or DVD. Check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies, along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to be starting a family fantasy month with White Fang that's available on Disney Plus, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.